The clock on the southwestern tower of St. Paul's Cathedral appeared to have stopped. I could just see it if I craned my neck and peered out of the very side of my office window. Maybe it was suffering from a delayed shock after the Blitz. It was, after all, 1950, and the war had only been over for five years. But ten past two, which was what the clock's hands indicated, could hardly be the correct time. I had eaten my sandwich lunch in the garden on the bombsite just over the road, and had been back at my desk promptly at two o'clock, as befitted the most junior and recently recruited member of the London publishing house for which I was working. And that seemed at least three-quarters of an hour ago. I turned my attention to the galley proofs in front of me. It was a text about tadpoles for primary schools. Interesting in its own way, but hardly I felt the sort of work that taxed my hard-won degree in natural sciences. Fitting in the illustrations, using a technology that had not changed significantly since Gutenberg's times, required counting the words, sometimes even the individual letters. I had to tot them up, work out how many would have to be carried forward to the next page, and then wrestle with the various possibilities for trimming the next illustration. Another half-hour of this, and I took another glance through the window. The clock hadn't stopped at all. Its hands had certainly moved. They had advanced a few minutes. But it was still not half-past. This dismal revelation depressed me so much that I decided to turn my desk around so that I wasn't hypnotized by the hands of a clock. Instead, I stared at a blank wall. And it was then that I decided that this was not the way I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Maybe my future was not, after all, to be a gentleman publisher. But what was it? I was twenty-four. I had studied natural sciences at Cambridge, thinking that somehow research would ultimately take me to remote and exciting parts of the world. Then I had to do my national service— I went into the Navy, hoping that I might be sent somewhere romantic. At Gosport, where we did our preliminary training, I met old naval hands who talked a lot about Trinco. That's to say, Trinco Malie, in what was then Ceylon. The Far Eastern Fleet was based there. It sounded good to me, and I told whoever I thought might have some influence in the matter that Trinco was just the sort of place I would like to be posted at the end of my training. In the event, I was sent to join an aircraft carrier that was being mothballed as part of the reserve fleet in the Firth of Forth. By the time the Navy had finished with me, I had decided that I didn't want to go back to university to read for a doctorate. Zoological research in those days was largely laboratory-bound, and that wasn't the way I wanted to study animals. In any case, I had now married Jane, whom I had met at university, and I didn't fancy going back to subsist on a student grant, even if I could have got one. So I had decided that publishing would suit me, and had got myself a job as a junior editorial assistant with an educational publisher. But now that didn't seem to be a thrilling proposition either. I consulted the appointments columns in the Times, which, as an embryonic city gent, I felt I had to carry to the office daily and occasionally read. And there I saw an advertisement by the BBC for a Radio Talks producer. Since I had failed to find a job that would take me to remote places, I thought I might enjoy that sensation second-hand, 
by seeking out people who had managed to do so and getting them to talk about it. So I applied.